listeners, before we get to this episode of Problem Solvers, here is a word from our sponsor. Entrepreneurs are problem solvers by nature. But when you're solving complex business issues, the last thing you and your team need are technology hassles. That's why with the Galaxy Book lineup, Samsung set out to make a PC that helps you reclaim the workday, eliminating distractions and empowering you and your team to focus on the big picture. Invest in your workplace. Invest in your future. Upgrade to Galaxy Book, the PC that helps modern businesses go further. Explore the whole range at samsung.com slash book for work And now, on with the show. From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. My friend Shira recently started working with, the word consultant is not exactly correct. He helps people with projects, but it's it's a little different than consulting. Anyway, you'll understand it more in a minute. The guy's name is Peter. And Shira emails me and says, hey, this guy's got a really interesting philosophy on business that I think that you would appreciate. And it's a lot about how business people can learn a lot from art. And I said, well, okay, that sounds possibly interesting. Maybe have him jot down some thoughts and you can send them to me. And so that's what happens. And then I get this email one day and it made me pause. It was interesting. I just want to read a little bit of it to you here. He writes, one of the initial differences between thinking like a business person and an artist is the question of use or uselessness. All artworks are fundamentally useless. No one needs them really. And here, let me pause to just fill in some gaps here, right? This is true. We don't need art. It doesn't often do anything for us in a very literal sense. So the creation of it feels, well, it it very well could feel useless if you are an artist and you don't exactly know what you're creating or why you're creating it or why anybody would care about it. And yet, of course, we love art. We value art. So this thing that we valued came out of this exploration of uselessness. Anyway, okay, now back to his writing. He writes, that is the antithesis of business thinking. Risk and useless risk is the one thing that all businesses try to mitigate or eliminate. But making requires an openness to what's useless and what might be possible in that uselessness, a willingness to take a second or third or 50th look. Okay, that's, um, there was a lot more to the email, but I'm going to stop here because after reading this, I thought, okay, maybe people in business do in fact have something to learn from art because of course we, we want that exploration. We want to be able to explore enough, to engage with enough ideas, to try things that may be useless, to tolerate uselessness to the point where we can create something that is valuable and in business useful. And so I said, well, let me get this guy on the phone. Hello, my name is Peter M. Krask. I am the creativity guide and I live in New York City. And what does that mean you're the creativity guide? So I am what I call a project whisperer. I work with artists, creatives, entrepreneurs, makers of all kind who are moving in a project and they're stuck or they don't know how to get started. Or what I'm finding now, I'm working with a lot of people who are transitioning an expertise or one form of knowledge into another form. 
for another kind of career. So it's kind of just helping people navigate that and sort of understand and own their own creative process and how they get things to happen. Peter and I went on to have a really engaging conversation about creativity and about how people who are literal-minded can start to embrace that uselessness that he was talking about with artists and how that can really help us in business. It can help us build the tangible, useful things. So on this episode of Problem Solvers, I want to play for you that conversation. We're going to get kind of theoretical at times, but I also bring it back down to real life and we start to look at some actual concrete examples. And I think that at the end of it, my hope is that you feel a little more tolerant of the times in which you're doing things that don't seem to have a purpose or that maybe you're going to fail. Because of course, those are all parts of the creative process. And it doesn't matter if we're painting on a canvas or if we're building the next great business. All of that is creative. So anyway, after the break, a creative conversation with the Creativity Guide. You know, when it comes to your next business read, you do have options. You could pick up that trendy new buzzwordy business book, or you could learn the timeless buzzword free lessons of a straightforward modern classic. I am talking about Good Profit by Charles Koch, a CEO with a real world track record of decade upon decade of actual exponential business growth. Want the lessons from somebody who's actually done it? Start by visiting goodprofitbook.com. Goodprofitbook.com. All right, we're back. So I started by talking to Peter about who might need a creativity guide. Who are the people that need to start thinking differently about how they create? Based on the way that he describes his work, I, I honestly couldn't tell at first if he was mostly working with artists or business people or artists who want to be business people or business people who want to be artists. What is it that <laughs> draws someone to say, I need someone to help me through the creation process. And Peter said, you know, it isn't really about a particular kind of occupation or background, but rather about where someone is moving. What I'm finding more is that it's people who have a very particular expertise, and that can be an artist or a business owner, and they want to use it in a new way or a new form. So an example, I've worked with many people who are expert business owners, but they want to write a book and they've never written a book before. So they have the information and the knowledge. And actually, I believe they have the know-how, but it's more just kind of like, here are things we need to be focusing on and working with and sort of just keeping people moving and on track. And, you know, you're going to get snagged and we all need somebody to help us get unsnagged. And I think that's, that's a human thing. I don't think it's just creatives, right? So with that, I wanted to pick up from what I was reading in that email, this idea of uselessness and how it's so core to a way that an artist creates and how that can be useful in a business realm that doesn't generally tolerate uselessness. So I asked Peter to take me from the ground floor up about how we should be thinking about this and how maybe we even got into that kind of divide where people in business fear the kind of process that makes art so valuable. You know, it's interesting. And it, partly it's just a moment that we're in culturally. I think there used to be a sort of very strong divide that business people knew one thing and artists knew another thing. And they used entirely different toolboxes and 
thought about things entirely differently. And maybe that was true at some point, but I think all of our, our work areas are bleeding into all sorts of other interesting areas now. And I think, you know, particularly after having experience of working from home where people have to be very self-sufficient, it's called upon all kinds of creativity and sort of finding interesting creative solutions. We've all, the number of business people that I've worked with were like, well, I'm not creative. Entrepreneurs are inherently creative, right? You are, have an idea, you're making something and you're putting that out in the world, which is what an artist does. And if you look at, historically, if you look at many of the great artists, they all ran huge workshops. They had assistants. They were involved in supply chains and contracts and locating rare materials and deadlines. And so there's the record shows that many artists had to think like business people to get their work done just for the quantity of work. If you read any of like Michelangelo's letters or, you know, his search for the right kind of marble and having to travel to quarries and finding ways to get that back to Rome. And, you know, we have this idea that there's like the heroic artist who sort of labors alone. But that's not really true, at least in my experience. But a challenging thing about art is that it doesn't have the kind of role in people's lives that the creation of a more what we would think of as traditional product does. A product solves a problem and you have to find product market fit. It either addresses a need or it does not. Art is a harder thing in some way in that it doesn't have an inherent value to it. It, it, The value comes from, well, I guess, I don't know. What does the value come from? How do you think about that? Well, one way I agree with you, I think I've said this before, and I sometimes it's just to kind of rattle people's chains, but, you know, art is kind of useless. Nobody really needs it. It's not something that you need to survive, although you can make the philosophical case that, we need art to sort of help us be sure, human. As a, as a concept, but nobody right. needs an individual piece of art. No, absolutely. And there's no specific demand for, I need this piece of art, unless you are somebody who's commissioned something for a very particular niche or role. Nobody wakes up one day and says like, I need this painting. And somebody out there has it and you find it. And art, I think this is a difference between art and business is business has sort of quantifiable immediate effects or connection. And art is usually indirect. The effects of it are indirect. And the artist has very little control over sort of what those effects are. I'm a business owner, but I also am an artist. And I have seen this from sort of both sides of the equation. You know, so I've written theater pieces that have been produced. And I have a very specific idea in mind of what I think that piece is about. But I've also had the experience of sitting in an audience with a thousand people and having no control over what they're taking in and what they're getting out of that experience. And Mm -hmm. as an artist, you have to be willing to enter that and sort of let that part of it go. Whereas a business person is all about controlling the outcome as much as you can. So what do you think a business person can learn from the way that an artist has to think about their work and present it in a marketplace? Well, I think there should be room for, I will say, uselessness, but maybe it's another way of looking at that is inefficiency, that at some part of the process, it is useless or it is going to be inefficient and it is going to take some time to discover what that is. You mean the business, like like something that a business person creates, something that an entrepreneur creates is at the beginning, at least, probably useless or yeah. it's useless to most people and you have to convince them of its usefulness. 
that's exactly one way of looking at it. And I think also the allowing the process to be a little messy and allowing the process to find its own form, you know, because art in many ways is about sort of venturing into something unknown. You have the blank page or canvas, you have an idea, and then as you start working on it, it becomes something else and you have to do a lot of sort of staying alert and awake to that process. And it can be very inefficient. It can take a novelist 10 years to write a novel. That's not a hyper-efficient process, but Mm -hmm. at the end of it, you have the novel. And, And I think business people face that same question, although maybe with a different... Obviously, you can't take 20 years to get something to market. But if you look at, let's say, drug research, for instance, we were very fortunate the COVID vaccine happened as quickly as it did. But that's not usually the way those things are developed that speedily. And there is a lot of inefficiency and uselessness in it and a lot of mistakes or this didn't work. I th- you know, what's the quote from Edison? It's like, I found 99 ways that didn't work and then, you know, success. But I think most of us were generally in the 99%, the 99 things that didn't work. We can all spend a lot of time there. The thing that the uselessness or inefficiency can offer if you don't quit too soon is the possibility of discovering something really interesting and the bigger idea. And do you want the small idea, the quick small idea, or do you want the big lasting idea that can really land and have something generative from it and that has a far reach? An example I'd like to use, yeah. is, this is from the 1850s, and I'm just thinking of your episode about uh, living like royalty and the mm-hmm. color purple. Purple purple was so expensive because it was milked from snails and it was very hard to find. And there had never, up until the 1850s, there never was a synthetic dye that could create purple. And in the 1850s in London, there was a gentleman who was 18. He lived with his parents. So there's hope for all people who are still living with their parents, (laughs) um, who had entered a contest to find a cure for malaria. And the belief at the time was that charcoal or coal had some healing properties for malaria. And he was working in his basement, trying to work with coal to find this cure. And he never found the cure, like it never worked. But he noticed one day that there was this sort of beautiful purple residue that came out of the experiment. And he didn't know what it was. And, you know, but he admired how beautiful it was and that there was something really interesting about it. And he just sort of let it be and looked at it for a long time. And wouldn't you know it, that became the synthetic agent that made the color purple possible as a mass-produced item. And he became, in 1815's money, he became a multimillionaire from this very accidental discovery. So he had the choice of sort of saying, you know, my experiment didn't work out, it was useless, or saying, you know, what, what I thought... I was doing didn't work and it seems useless, but maybe there's something else here. And sort of being able to stay in that place for a little bit longer than most people normally would unlocked a big secret and made him a very wealthy man. No, that's interesting. There's a similar story, of course, about penicillin and the development of that, which started as this kind of weird growth or something. Uh, And uh, it took a very... Yeah. And it took a very long time to figure out what it was for. How do you guide people to tolerate the uselessness? Because what I'm hearing you say is essentially the greatest creations, whether it's art or business or a combination thereof, often come out of 
creating something or going in some direction, not seeing what its value is. And in fact, as far as you've gone at this point, it doesn't have value. Right. But knowing that or feeling confident enough or something, there's something that drives you to continue down this path that seems completely useless, where a lot of people would have probably abandoned it. And a lot of people are probably telling you to abandon it. But you're going to hold on and discover something at the end of this. But of course, there's no guarantee that there's something at the end of this. So how do you guide people down that journey? Oh, it's me interrupting me. You will hear the answer to that question, that very practical question about uselessness right after this short break. This is a message for lawyers, consultants, accountants, photographers, designers, and other professionals who sell their time, which I know is a lot of you. Square is here to make your work-life balance better. How are they going to do that? Because their suite of tools works together to easily keep you organized. You can send out custom estimates to bring in more clients, accept any type of payment that your customer wants to use wherever they want to pay. Take payments in person, over the phone, through your computer, through email or text, via invoices or on your website. Get real-time reports that show you what's working best. And their built-in client management software even lets you have all your notes and client details in one place, including a card on file for repeat customers. Square's tools are built to work together so that you can spend less time on paperwork and more time on actual work. Learn more at square.com. All right, we're back. So as you will recall, Peter and I were swapping stories about great innovation that came out of some useless experimentation. So the question that I had was this, but of course, there's no guarantee that there's something at the end of this. So how do you guide people down that journey? A lot of that is about just sort of trying to take the anxiety out of that because we're in a culture that's very geared to knowing and we're very uncomfortable with not knowing. And my basic feeling is, particularly with the new product or a new business or a creative thing, you don't know at the beginning. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think people get very sort of knotted up inside about not knowing and that something's wrong with them or they're failing. But not knowing is a great place because then anything's possible. There's all kinds of potential within that if you can sort of relax. And so I try to get people comfortable in that kind of liminal space because it's just you're in between something. And I think culturally, we're very geared towards you're either here or there. And we're not very good at sort of the in-between place and teaching people how to be comfortable in that in-between place and learning to be curious about it and learning to ask questions about it and noticing what's happening. What I find is that they start to understand their own creative process and their own process of making. And once people latch onto that, like that, once that really locks in and they're like, this is how I do it, that's when things start to happen and they find the answers that they already have within them, but they just couldn't get to. And I think, and is that because they are now feeling like what they're doing is more intentional? Yeah. And I think it's also giving up the idea of, I have to know the answer at the start is very freeing. And, and it opens up just sort of more brain space in a way, because it's not like you can really start looking because you're not willing it to be this one thing and this one thing only. And I think, you know, it's and it's a balance, too, because a business requires planning, making art requires planning, and you have a budget, you have resources, you know, all of those things are real. But within that, there has to be space for not knowing and improvisation and just 
being curious and being able to stay there. Because again, that's where you can start to sort of see things very differently and listen to yourself. Because we have so many things competing for our attention and so many people telling us, well, this is how you should do it. And follow this model or follow this plan or follow this expert. And and all of that information is helpful and useful if it works for you, but a lot of it isn't and can make people feel very bad about what they're doing. And then that's how they lose the project they're working on, the transition they're in. And I always just sort of say like, I can stay in the space with them because I have to live that myself in my own work and business. And I feel pretty well, comfortable that was... in that space. Yeah, that was exactly what I wanted to ask you next, which was what that has been like for you. Can you share your own experience doing this? So I was originally, I'm trained as a writer and was a journalist for many years and have written nonfiction essays that have been published in anthologies and some theater writing. And you're a writer and editor yourself. You know, writing, it doesn't, the first draft is not usually perfect. Mm -hmm. And you have to spend some time sort of trying to figure out what it is you think about something and how to express it clearly. And the more you do that, I think you get a facility with being able to stay in that process and trusting that, all right, four drafts later, you can get to what you need to and you can get faster at that. But I'm also a photographer and I own my own business as a floral designer for 20 plus years. And within that, a lot of the work I did was for live television events. Uh, So like I do the broadcast of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Uh, I've worked with the Today Show for a long time. It's a very time-sensitive, high-stake, fast turnover. But that required something with a very, you know, particular artistic bent and eye and an ability to create an environment very quickly. So that's calling on kind of two kinds of knowledge and process and... I've been very fortunate to work in a number of mediums and really see how things come together, whether that's just me working individually or working in the midst of a very large machine like the Today Show. And process questions are pretty much the same across the board. The technology may be different, the expression may be different, but process questions are pretty consistent. And right now I work, I'm a dedicated mentor at the New Museum in the Bowery, and they have a program that's an incubator for technology design and art. So not everybody's making art. A lot of people are working out business ideas and tech-driven businesses. And they're all super smart and doing really cool, interesting things. But they need sort of someone to, you know, guide them through the process and understand their own process and anticipate where things could get snagged and how to avoid those snags or how to recover from a snag because, again, they're going to happen. So you just described a lot of different pursuits, all of them creative in different ways. How have you had to grapple with your own questions of usefulness or uselessness? And have you had to do what you were describing that you would coach clients through, which is to find a way to get comfortable with it, to best understand how you work and therefore how the process that you're going through is not some random process with no point to it, but is in fact you executing the way that you operate and staying in that space of usefulness, uselessness long enough that you find the useful. In an answer? Yes. How? What have you you learned from your own experience? From my own experience. So as I said, I started out as a writer and sort of accidentally became a floral designer. And it's been, it was a very lucky accident and afforded me all sorts of 
wonderful opportunities and training and experience. And since most of my work has been in television, as that production model has changed because of the digital revolution, there is less and less space for sort of handmade things. Now it's all just roll in a screen and project an image. And as, you know, after about 20 years of it, it was clear that I needed to move my business in a different direction. And and I thought, well, okay, you know, I'll just move into the event world and do weddings and large events because I have a lot of experience in that. And that's a very big market. But I hit a pretty big wobble with it very quickly. And I was unable to make a go of it. And while I did do some large events, I couldn't build any traction with it. And I couldn't get sort of where I wanted to go with it. And I was really starting to sort of wonder, like, what happened? Like, generally, I'm pretty good in spaces where I don't quite know what I'm doing, but I know where I want to go and I can get there. And I was having, you know, some issues with staff, which I've never had before, and unable to communicate clearly with clients in a way that I never had before, too. And I was really looking at it as like this terrible failure. And what I realized was that I was telling the wrong story and I was telling the wrong story to myself. And that it wasn't so much that I didn't know what I was doing, but I'm not someone who's super jazzed about weddings and doing that work. I'm happy when people are married and I like going to weddings, but producing them is very hard. And I realized, you know, I was trying to be something I thought I should be rather than pursuing something that was close to me and connected to my beliefs and outlook. And I realized, you know, within this transitional moment that I was missing kind of the real story, which is that I was, what I was really interested in was process and getting, starting at some point with the project and finishing a project. That's the thing I really find very satisfying. And that I had always been the person people come to when they were stuck with the project of my creative friends, I could always get them back on track. And it wasn't till I let go of what I thought was useless and what seemed like failure and sort of took the time to say like, what really is going on here and what is possible with all of this experience and what I know and what I'm learning now, is there a way to move that into something else? And that's when I started working with clients as a creativity guide and working as a mentor and sort of guiding people through process. And I think really the simple version is it's about telling the right story. And I think, again, as a writer and editor yourself, you know, that's really all that you're doing at the end of the day is sort of pulling out what's not the right story and getting it down to the the one you need to tell. Yeah, that's great. And a helpful way of seeing what isn't just a matter of perspective, but it's also a matter of making hard decisions about what it is that you do and what your value as an offering is. And I wonder as a way to kind of conclude the thought here as a final question, what's your advice to people who are in that particular moment right now? Because somebody could have started down a path they thought it was the right one something is missing. And the solution, you speak of it in terms of story, but of course it's not, a story is just the first part. It's like, it's like you have to tell the story, you have to live the story. So what's the thing that you think might, might have triggered your solution in that moment? What's the thing that you think 
people might want to ask themselves or do or, or a process or an exercise that somebody might want to run themselves through so that at that moment when they think, you know, maybe I am not telling the right story or maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not exactly sure what it is that I'm supposed to be doing here, that there's, a, there's an opportunity for clarity. I would offer a couple questions or even just a couple practical steps. One is just stop. It's okay to stop and step back for a little bit. And that we're, we're very geared towards action and making the decision to stop and step back is still an action and it's still a choice. And I think it's important for people to realize that because sometimes that feels like you're not doing anything. The corollary to that is listen. If you can step back, then maybe you can start to listen to what actually is happening around you and and sort of listen a little more deeply and a little more closely because often when we're so in motion, it's hard to hear what's going on. And again, I would throw that out too, that listening is a choice and an action. If you are actively listening, that's a lot of work and a lot of effort. And it's important to be able to do that. And a question I would ask, this is going to seem incredibly basic and obvious, but it actually... I find it's a very rich one when I work with clients is to just say, what are you doing? And not in the terrible, like, what are you doing? But really just to sort of look at what am I doing? And can you sort of answer that question from many levels and many perspectives? Because beyond the sort of like, I am making, if I was a painter, and I would say I'm making a painting, that is true. But if you look at sort of why are you making that painting and start drilling down on that, you can get to something really foundational. And I think this is true for any entrepreneur that it's beyond just I'm making a product to sell. And if you can get to that sort of core thing about what it is you're doing, that can really help somebody get oriented and sort of regain their bearings and start to look again at what is possible and sort of what new directions may be available within that. Oh, that's great. I love that question. <laughs> what am I doing? Don't scream it at yourself, but it's right. worth asking. It's probably worth asking all the time. Right. And it's a way of, it's, it's a good way of, you know, to navigate and to really stay grounded because there's a lot as an entrepreneur, there's a lot to kind of keep knocking you off course. There's so much you have to adjust to and sort of keep tailoring how you're moving and what you're moving towards. And if you can keep coming back to that thing of what you're doing, you know, that's a really good way not to get lost or learn that you're not doing what you thought you were doing and that maybe it's time to make a big shift as well. Yeah. Hey, Peter, thanks so much for your time and thoughts. This was really great. My pleasure. It was great to be here. Um, Thank you for having me. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.